Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Freaking Geeks podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and with me is my co-host, Sarah. Hey, geeks. So we want to take a trip to the 80s, because that's what this movie is. <laughs> uh, and by nostalgia trip, <laughs> what exact year are you talking about? 1983? 83, is that it? Yeah. We're yeah. floppy disks the size of dinner plates, <laughs> computers that... Are like the size of a room that now you could fit in the palm of your hand. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's definitely a different time, a different era, <laughs> for sure. It's hard to think uh, that that's thirty plus years ago. Yeah, it's yeah. true. It's cr- it's crazy. Yeah, uh, but it's true. Uh, different time, different era, and we are talking, of course, about the movie War Games. So, Baby War Broderick. Games was released in 1983, June 3rd, 1983. It was written by Lawrence Lasker and Walter F. Parks, directed by John Badham. Runtime of one hour fifty four minutes. Budget of twelve million dollars. Box office of eighty million. Made a lot of money. Back then, eighty million was a lot of money for the you know the box office to make that much, um, considering the price of tickets at the time. Yeah, you know, it was only like two or three dollars. Um, stars Matthew Broderick, Ali Sheedy, Dabney Coleman, and John Wood. And there's also uh, I think a Michael Madsen has a small bit in the early uh, opening scene of the movie, and uh, oh. Um, John Spencer, the guy, he played on The West Wing, um, won a couple of, I think, a couple of Emmys, I think, for that that show. Uh, excellent actor. He was in the opening scene here of this movie as well. Uh, so, you know, Matthew Broderick, of course, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, a pretty big movie star in a good portion of the 80s and the 90s especially, mm-hmm. uh, but a, an excellent actor and still working uh, today yeah for sure and man the baby face on broderick is crazy it's just like his second <laughs> movie right second movie yeah man yeah. <laughs> he looks like a kid like a teenager it's crazy right yeah and you know what else you know ali sheedy was only i want to she was only like 19 maybe the time damn uh she had done a lot of television work but this was her first movie role so this was a big deal for her when she got this uh this really set her off into the stratosphere a couple years later she would become part of the brat pack uh the mid 80s you know emilio estevez uh you know her um i think uh, demi moore uh like this group of actors who kind of were ubiquitous at that point in time. They were everywhere. It just seemed like every movie that came out, it, one or more of those actors was in it. So that's what they call them, you know, the Brat Pack. Oh, now I know kind where I recognize her from. She's from The Breakfast Club. Yep. That's, I kept that like seeing her face and like, damn, she looks familiar, but I wonder if that's just kind of making the 80s face. And now I'm looking at her credits and like, oh, that's who you were. You were Allison. My wife called her Hermione. <laughs> yes. Oh because my God. Yes. It's so yep. true. If you look at her, especially there's this one shot about a quarter of the way through the movie uh, when David goes to visit his hacker buddies. Yes. And 
she was like she looks just like Hermione in that shot and it's so true. She really does. She looks very much like um Emma Watson. Definitely. Yeah. I mean you, you would think a an English accent would come out of her mouth, right? Yeah. Because you look at her and you're thinking, Oh, that's You just wait for but, it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh okay, so let me first tell you my experience with war games. I saw this movie uh when I first I saw it in nineteen ninety, so I was eight years old. Uh, I didn't really understand what was going on, you know. The finer details really was just way over my head. <laughs> I didn't have any interest in it whatsoever. And then I'd, I saw it a few more times, uh, probably in the 90s, I think three or four more times. Uh, I had a pretty big crush on Ali Sheedy, obviously. Uh, not a big surprise. No. But, um, you know, I loved this movie growing up. It wasn't one of those movies that I watched all of the time, but I have very fond memories of this movie. And so the chance to go back and do a review for the podcast, I was totally up for it. And we were just talking before we started recording, and I said I want to do uh, and I, well, I want to do a review for Ready Player One because the movie's coming out next year. I've read the book about three times now, and this is actually in the book. Is it really? It plays. It plays a vital part of the book. I can imagine. There's a, yeah, it's all about uh, strategy and essentially beating a game, so it would fit in perfectly. Right, and but there's yeah, there's some pretty cool uh, parts to the book that involve this uh, specifically. There's one that's very pivotal, but it's also mentioned several other times throughout the book. So it's really really a good one, and so I'd like to review it for the podcast. Um, so yeah, we were talking about that before we started recording. Yes, this is a, such an awesome book and, <laughs> you know, features war games. So that's even better. Um, but yeah, I, I love this movie. I think it's really fantastic. I, I don't care that it's from 1983. I, I don't care that the technology is way, way outdated. You know, it doesn't uh, like it's, it doesn't it's a very 80s movie, but it doesn't affect your watching. It, you accept no, it. it. It's a product of its time. It doesn't doesn't make it unenjoyable. Exactly. You know? So, uh, but an announcement before we get into doing any of the review here. Uh, I typed in War Games today and a, a remake, well, not really a remake, I guess, kind of. It's, um, they're turning it like into a TV series. It's going to be an updated version of this movie. So it's going to take place in 2018. And of course, the technology is going to be obviously today's technology. And they're going to kind of take some of the ideas and bring them up to date. So, you know, of course, some of the Cold, uh, Cold War era paranoia that was really infused in this movie is probably not going to be there uh, or at least as much is probably going to be you know other things um there's a trailer out actually so the trailer's pretty good it doesn't show a whole lot but it at least gives you an idea of what to expect it's going to be darker a little edgier so that's pretty cool i thought isn't it amazing that we're doing a review of this and today, the news and trailer just drops that, hey, we're getting a really? War Games TV series. Really? Yep. I have to look this yep. up. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> it's not even coming up on my IMDb. Aw. Uh, 
Well, anyway, it was announced. It's like, uh, if you type if you type it into Google, it should pop up. But yeah, I'm just like, no thanks. We already got one. <laughs> like I just, it took me this long to watch this one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, let's get into the review here. Uh, Sarah, give me your one sentence review for War Games. Um, an '80s trip that is blanketed by situations that are very possible to this day hmm. um my one sentence review is uh, though the technology may be extremely outdated war games is a wonderful mix of cold war thriller and effective teen drama thankfully without too much in the way of melodrama <laughs> um yeah amen yeah and thankfully it's just you know okay yeah there's some teen drama there's a romance here but it's it's underplayed they didn't make the girlfriend just completely unintelligent and whiny and causing more trouble and or being like the person that like accidentally hits the wrong button and sets the world on fire you know that kind of bullshit right she's not and she's not eye candy right yeah. i mean she's got a personality she's intelligent she's your girl next door right girl next door definitely uh girl next door so all right, plot synopsis. David Lightman isn't your typical teenager. He's smart, but lacks drive in school. Instead, he spends quite a bit of his time hacking. After trying to hack into a computer software company in an effort to play one of their soon-to-be-released games early, uh, David unwittingly finds himself playing global thermonuclear war. However, what he doesn't realize is that he's playing against a supercomputer that is capable of starting World War III. Yeah, watching this, I'm like, why do you have to pick global thermonuclear? <laughs> of all of the options, that's the one you pick. Okay, well, do I want to play chess or do I want to play global thermonuclear war? <sighs> you know, come on. <laughs> it's it's obvious you wouldn't pick that. You're not picking chess, so. <laughs> why not? <laughs> I feel like every other computer can play it. Well... Let's uh, let's give some more thoughts here. Um, I thought that War Games had a surprising amount of humanity in this movie. Yes, especially like the it starts off that way, the very beginning with their uh, launch test. I guess you know these guys are kind of in a bunker and they're solidified except for like the one means of communication that just says, "Hey, launch them or don't launch these nukes," and you have to be willing to turn the key with that any explanation or further instruction and 22% of people couldn't do it apparently. Yeah. And it's an effective opening. It really sets the stage for the entire movie because this opening sequence, it's filled with so much tension. You have this scenario where they essentially have to just push uh, the buttons, turn the key and send all these nukes out across the world, possibly you know, starting a war which will decimate humanity. Uh, that's their job. That's what they have to do. They have to be willing to turn that key, knowing that millions upon millions will die. And that's a hard choice to make. And it, it's also completely understandable that one of these guys is going to say, hey, look, I don't know that I can do this in the heat of the moment. He might say that prior to the situation popping up. You know, but when this happens and he actually has to turn that key, can you really do it? 
can you consign millions of people to their deaths? That's a hard decision to make. And he couldn't do it. And that's the way this movie is set up. They said, okay, look, 22% of these guys can't do it. We cannot be in a situation where when a decision needs to be made, uh, the possibility might exist that one of these guys is going to say, I can't do this. And in that decision, it may harm a lot of people here in the United States. So that's why you know, the argument gets made that this should be, this should be turned over to a computer. Now the computer is still going to be controlled by humans apparently, but still when push comes to shove and this decision needs to be made, the computer isn't going to hesitate to follow instructions. Yeah, exactly. It takes the humanity away from the massive decision. Right. Exactly. So, the events of this movie, how how do they play out? So, you know, we meet David in school. He's a bit of a, I don't a know. He's got a slacker in school. Yeah, he's got a little bit of an attitude. He gets an F on his uh, his paper. Uh, he kind of mouths off a little bit to the teacher. Gets sent down. <laughs> I thought it was this a great line, a, by the way. Oh, it, <laughs> the, uh, the asexual line where it's like uh, the first person who would think of ha- having an asexual relationship with your wife. <laughs> Like, yeah. Damn, that was a good response. <laughs> it was a good response. It gets him sent to the principal, and obviously it's something he's used to, uh, and the principal's used to. It's a common thing. David coming down because he said something in class to the teacher, and the teacher sent him down. It, you know, this happens all the time, and, you know. But the, the upside is that David knows where the password is to get into the school's mainframe. And allows him to hack into the system and change his grades and pretty much do whatever he wants. Yeah, which is kind of cool. Wish I'd figured that out when I was in school. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's a scene in Ferris Bueller's Day Off early on where uh, Ferris goes into the school's computer and he changes his grade. Yeah, that whole scene reminded me of Ferris Bueller. Right. Well, it's because you know Ferris Bueller referenced War Games mm. in that scene. Pretty awesome. That was the whole point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then, David uh, saying what he said in class, you know, makes one of the girls in the uh, in front of him laugh, and uh, this girl ends up becoming his girlfriend, kind of. I guess. Eventually. Really, I guess. Yeah. Um, so this kind of starts the whole thing off with David meeting her. Uh, he shows her his room. And oh, by the way, I wrote this down specifically. Doesn't doesn't his dad look just like Ted Wheeler? That that was my first thought when I saw him. So yes, hundred percent. He not just only he only looks like Ted Wheeler. He also acts like Ted yeah, Wheeler. Yeah, he's like soulless. He doesn't care at all, and I don't know. Just kind of he doesn't care what his son's doing or up to. And like when she comes to the door. He doesn't care that a girl's there. I don't think he even really notices, but asks her like a question to help him with a crossword, and it's 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 creepy almost. It's weird, you know. I've always thought, yeah. I always thought that the actor that played you know Ted Wheeler on Stranger Things, which is by the way what we're referring to, uh, I don't know. Maybe he watched War Games and was like, "That's the that's the dad I'm going to play." You know, that is the just, weird dad that I'm going to be. Yep. It's it's um. It's kind of scary, but uh, 
how eerie, uh, eerily similar they are. But anyway, <laughs> so he invites her up to his room and he changes the grades. Uh, she doesn't want him to change her grade. You can obviously tell she feels like that it's wrong. You know, she doesn't want him to do that. She's afraid she'll get in trouble for one thing, but she also maybe doesn't feel, at least in the moment, that it's morally it's right. right. It's, yeah. So, uh, but David, she leaves and David changes her grade anyway. <laughs> but David wants to uh, get these computer games uh, early because there's a software company, they're you know putting out these games and he wants to hack into their system and play the games before they hit the market. And so she comes back over and they start, you know, calling these numbers and hacking. And eventually it gets them into a place that David doesn't recognize. And ultimately what this place is, he thinks initially that it could be this company, but then I think he realizes something's off about it, takes it to his buddies who are, you know, fellow computer nerds and also hackers and that's when they kind of explain to him that it's not it's not the software company. This sounds like military. And uh, they go back and they start playing uh, global thermonuclear war with Joshua. And uh, this kind of sets off a chain of events where they start the thing. And it's a simulation, right? And because it's located in NORAD, this system, up on the screen in the control center, all of a sudden it, it looks like Russia is sending nukes <laughs> towards us. And understandably, they're freaking out, right? They're, they're getting ready to set, send bombers off into the sky. They're Def calling Con the president. Three. Yep. They're DEFCON. Yeah. So it's getting crazy. And eventually they realize that it's not actually happening. Um, they track David down um, and bring him in. But before that, the computer calls David back. And he explains to them, look, hey, the first time was all me. I, I definitely you know, copped to that. But the second time, Joshua called me. And they don't believe that Joshua is capable of doing this. Like a computer does not call you. Okay. Uh, but David's adamant that, you know, in this case, yes, computer called me. And uh, anyway, he manages to escape uh, NORAD uh, by really joining. Smartly. Yeah. Smartly. He, there's a tour coming through and the tour has to leave because things are getting kind of crazy. Uh, David manages to escape the room he's in and kind of blends in with the crowd and gets on the bus and uh, escapes. And also, uh, he ends up meeting up with. Um, I'm sorry, I cannot remember her name right now. Uh, what's her name? Uh, the the girlfriend. It's totally oh. pulling a blank right now. Hold on. It right? is um, Jennifer. Jennifer. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So anyway, uh, he he calls Jennifer for money. He needs uh, to get a ticket, a uh, plane ticket, and she ends up joining him and together they go and track down professor falcon professor falcon of course is the person who created this whole system and his son was of course was named joshua joshua died as a young boy and this program more or less i think is like the last remnants of 
for at least Falcon, uh, the last remnants of his son is in this system. Uh, at this point, Falcon is ready for for death. It feels like he, he's 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 lost. He's living out his days, but there's really nothing there for him. He's by himself. He has no company, uh, and he even explains as much regarding you know all of this being futile. You know, when the nukes come, we'll just die. You know. It's pretty sad to have like lost so much of your will to live that all you have to do is make a phone call to save other lives and you just you, you basically think like what's the point? It'll happen eventually. So why not now? It's really sad. Yeah, it is. Um uh, before we go any further, I want to take a step back to the point where uh, David and Jennifer first managed to hack into, you know, NORAD, and they've they now are able to kind of choose which game they want to play. I want to play the clip for this, so I do apologize that I'm stepping back. I forgot to play this clip, but it's such a good scene. <laughs> we just got so right I'll, into it, <laughs> right? I, yeah, I did. I just got right into it. So uh, here's a clip, and we'll discuss the scene, and then we'll kind of jump back in and keep going. So here it is. We're in. It thinks I'm Falcon. Hello. How can it ask you that? It'll ask you whatever it's programmed to ask you. You want to hear it talk? Yeah. I'll ask it how it feels. I'm fine. How are you? Excellent. It's evil all time. Can you explain the removal of your user account on June 23rd, 1973? They must have told that he died. People sometimes make mistakes. Yes, they do. How can I talk? It's not a real voice. Uh, this box just interprets signals from the computer and turns them into sound. Shall we play a game? Oh. <laughs> I think I missed him. Yeah, weird, isn't it? Yeah. Love to. How about global thermonuclear war? Wouldn't you prefer a good game of chess? <laughs> Later, let's play global thermonuclear war. Fine. <laughs> All right. Which side do you want? I'll be the Russians. Please <laughs> list primary targets. Who should we nuke first? Um, oh, let's see. How about Las Vegas? Las Vegas, great. What next? Seattle! Yeah! <laughs> Okay, so uh, I like this scene just because it it shows it shows how naive they are. Yeah, seriously. And and also how naive Jennifer is because I mean, of course, she's not a computer, you know, person. She doesn't understand most of what David's doing. Uh, she just seems to enjoy 
I guess the fact that she's learning something, the fact that yeah, this is kind of science fiction. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's, and she it's, gets to hang yeah. out with him and I'm sure she's, yeah, she's a little interested in him. So why not <laughs> just hang out? And he's different. He's got to be different from any other guy she's ever liked. Oh, oh, yeah. I would imagine, you know, um, definitely not your typical boy. I would think someone is as pretty as Jennifer, you know, um so anyway uh, i do like this scene a lot i i think it um it kind of just shows a bit of the cockiness that i think david has i mean he's he's not a really cocky person but there's a little bit of that in him uh he just kind of dives right in thinking he knows what to do and what's going on and i can handle the situation um i'm going to play this game and it's it's all fun and and whatever uh, but he's dealing with things that he isn't able to understand. And it doesn't even have anything to do with the fact that he's, you know, broken into NORAD, essentially. Mm-hmm. It's it's the, he's never gone up against a situation where he's hacked into a company or anything that he just couldn't go in and get whatever he wanted and get back out. You know, so he's he's kind of just diving in, hacking, hacking, hacking. And whether it's this or another situation down the line, at some point in some at some time he was going to hack in to something that he shouldn't have hacked into. And know? he found it. And he found it. This is the time. Um so anyway, jump back uh to where we were in our uh, chronological breakdown here. Um so then anyway, uh we move forward and, and David and Jennifer, they try to convince falcon and he's just like i'm done get out of here i don't want to you know deal with any of this so they leave but something that they said must have had an effect on falcon because he eventually picks them up in their helicopter they go back to norad they there's a scene where they're in a jeep and they're trying to get to uh inside norad because uh, because of everything that's currently going on with all the nukes and the submarines and everything they're closing NORAD, and once those doors close, nobody gets in, nobody gets out. Okay, because it's basically in like a mountain. Okay? World War Three. Like, World War Three. Nukes are gonna drop. So as this this uh, jeep is flying along, it crashes, and that crash wasn't supposed to happen. It was actually a mistake. Really? And yeah, and they they kept it, and the whole thing about them like having to get out and run, that was all. Like they had to create that on the spot because the Jeep crashed. So when they're running, that they're like, hey, we just need you to start running. So they did it. Like, and then I didn't through, hurt myself or anything. Yeah. Sure, I'll keep running. <laughs> and and the tunnel, running through the tunnel. Yeah. Same thing. It was all just they had to create this really quickly and they shot it. So uh pretty cool. And I think it actually adds to the to the scene. I I like it's it better than the thing of Right, and a little better than if they would have just driven up, jumped out, and ran inside. Yeah, exactly. So they get inside, and uh, they make their way to the control room, and we get this scene. I don't know what you think you could do here, Stephen. John, good to see you. You see, the wife still picks your time. What has this kid been telling you? How far has he gone? The president's about ready to order a counter-strike. That's what we're recommending you do. It's a bluff, John. Call it off. 
No, it's not a bluff. It's real. Hello, General Berenger. Stephen Falcon. Mr. Falcon, you picked a hell of a day for a visit. Uh, uh, General, what you see on these screens up here is a fantasy, a computer-enhanced hallucination. Those blips are not real missiles. They're phantoms. Jack, there's nothing to indicate a simulation at all. Everything's working perfectly. But does it make any sense? Does what make any sense? That. Look, I don't have time for a conversation right now. General, are you prepared to destroy the enemy? You betcha. Do you think they know that? I believe we've made that clear enough. Then don't. Tell the president to write out the attack. Sir, they need a decision. General, do you really believe that the enemy would attack without provocation, using so many missiles, bombers, and subs, so that we would have no choice but to totally annihilate them? One minute and 30 seconds to impact. General, you are listening to a machine. Do the world a favor and don't act like one. One minute and 20 seconds to impact. Yes, Mr. President. Sir, at this point in time, we cannot positively confirm the inbounds. We have reason to believe they may not exist. Yes, sir, that's affirmative. Yes, sir. I do, too. One minute to impact. So, let me ask you a question about Falcon. Played by John Wood, by the way, and I think it's a really, really good performance by him. There's something a little bit mad scientist about his portrayal, I think, of Falcon, because... It's just something a little off about him, you know? Yeah, it's true. It's hard to explain. Like, So whenever um, Dabney Coleman's character uh, comes up to him in this scene here, he's like, hey, John. I think it's it's John McKittrick. But anyway, he says, he like almost wants to give him a hug. And and he says something like, oh, your wife still picks out your ties. Like, it's such a weird thing because in that moment, the last thing that you would be thinking of is that. You would just be like, get me in here. I need to talk to a person in charge. You're not making small talk, right? And his wife died with his son. So that's kind of a horrible thing to say. Right. (laughs) It's just like when I heard that, I'm like... Uh, that's kind of a dick thing to say. And mm-hmm. you're saying it's so friendly, but like I wonder if they just kind of maybe forgot because that's... And maybe just want, like, hey, we'll put this joke in here and not really thinking that, oh, yeah, this guy's wife died too. Because it was just very it's, weird. It's, yeah, very weird. But anyway, as you can see from this scene, right, He's he finally must have had a change of heart. Uh, maybe what... Uh, David or Jennifer said to him in his his cabin, you know, it had to have struck a chord mm-hmm. inside of him because he goes into this scene after that awkward encounter right there. He then talks to the general and he says something pretty effective here in this scene, which is more or less, look, the other guys, the bad guys, the Russians, they're not going to just send all of their nukes and all their subs and stuff, knowing full well that we're going to turn around and just shoot all of our stuff over to at them. Like, it's not going to happen. It's certainly not going to happen in this way, you know? So it doesn't make any sense. 
trying to assure them this is a computer simulation. It isn't real. Not, nukes aren't actually coming down on you. But to them, it's very real. They don't really understand. So, but that general, like, it, the whole time they play this general off is kind of an asshole, but he is right most of the time. And everyone else is kind of making the poor decisions, but he's at least making the good decisions. And that's reiterated here when he actually takes this guy's advice and he holds and also calls the actual points that these nukes are supposed to come down on just to be on the phone so they have somebody to talk to if this mm-hmm. does happen. Like, that's some humanity right there. It is, and it's pretty impressive, and it's a good way of uh, confirming whether or not these things are actually real. Yeah. Because if they're real, then these guys are going to get blown up, and there's going to be no response, and which means he'll know immediately, you know, he'll know immediately, you know, that this is like a full uh, attack. It's something we have to worry about now. But it doesn't, you know, happen. The nukes don't hit because they're not real. And there's this great moment. There's this... In this uh, this whole last 15, 20 minutes of the movie, in this particular scene here, after that happens, everyone starts cheering and jumping around and hugging. And it's like, okay, we've averted disaster and the movie can end now, right? But it's a fake ending. It's a brilliant, brilliant thing here because they only think that they have won, that they've stopped, you know, global thermonuclear war from happening. It's only in the moments afterward that, of course, they can't, that there's an, like an auto lock going on. And Joshua has basically made it so that they can't get into the system. And in doing so, they have literally zero control now. They can't get Joshua to stop. They can't disarm the nukes. They can't do anything. And so if he can get the... Uh, the 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 uh, launch codes uh, to launch like all these nukes. I think they said there's like a hundred nukes or something or a thousand nukes. I can't remember which. I think it's a thousand nukes. But if he can get these launch codes, which he he starts doing, uh, then we're all gone. <laughs> so as they were crowding around, David says, "Hey, look, why don't we try playing chess?" So eventually they get they he tries a couple of different games, doesn't work out, brings up chess. And eventually, Joshua starts playing chess. And in doing so, he, after playing it, you know, probably a thousand times. I'm sorry. Yes. Not chess. Tic-tac-toe. After playing tic-tac-toe like a thousand times or more, he eventually realizes that you can't win this game. So the idea that he can't win also causes Joshua to learn by simulating over and over all the ways in which, you know, global thermonuclear war could happen, whether it's this country attacking to this country, you know, Finland attacking the United States, United States attacking China, you know, all these different ways that he kind of simulates all this comes to the understanding, Joshua, the computer, eventually understands that uh, nobody wins in these games. So, so Tic-Tac-Toe taught him that you could play a game and there is no winner. And once he learned that, then the global thermonuclear war scenarios taught him that in this particular game, the best uh, move is not to play. Yeah. So more or less, 
what they're saying is, hey, uh, in real life, not just in this movie, but you know, the best thing you can do is to not not play, not send any of your nukes off because the the fallout is going to be disastrous, and we're just going to kill each other, destroy exactly. each other. It'll take out the world. Correct. Yeah, if the impact doesn't, then the radiation will. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just this devastation across the, the globe. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter who starts sending them off first because everyone's going to start just throwing them out there and then we're all dead. Yeah, and what Falcon said too is particularly horrifying when they're at his cabin and he's like, you know, we're at least, you know, we're three miles away from a major city, so at least we'll evaporate within like a millisecond where the rest of the world will just have to walk around blinded until they die. I'm just like, that is just the darkest thing I've ever heard. It's horrifying. It is horrifying. It is. And it also shows just how far down the rabbit hole he's gone. Yeah. You know? Big he's time. He's a man who's lost his, his son and uh, his, his daughter. Or not his daughter, wife. his wife, I mean. Um, they're gone. So he has nothing. He has nothing to live for. And so he just basically you know, spends his days, I guess, a zombie, I think. You know, he wakes up, he eats, he sleeps, he, you know, keeps himself busy somehow, but it, it's nothing for, well, there's nothing fulfilling, exactly. I think. Yeah. You know, nothing that has he, any meaning. Right. Um, so one of the core themes of this movie has to do with how much control we give computers over humans. It was a fear in 1983, but today it's a reality. So Seriously. I I still feel like even from the beginning of this movie when they are talking about putting a computer in charge, like the general was you know, definitely being portrayed as an a-hole, but I'm still siding with him. We do need to leave it up to human hands because you know, humans, they may not be able to pull the plug, but computers may pull the plug without meaning to. <laughs> Neither situation is good, but I would take the human side over the computer sites all right and i understand that i do uh but like i said i i feel like you know back then the fear of giving too much control to computers was a valid one it's more valid today another thing about this movie is the idea of artificial intelligence now you could argue and understandably so that joshua feels more like hal here in this movie like an updated you know different version slightly different version of how but and that might be science fiction more on like that end of the spectrum but at the same time I feel like i think the back then the idea of artificial intelligence already existed of course uh and we saw terminator come out in 1984 and in those uh the terminators are machines that operate on you know artificial intelligence so on one hand you could say broadly that this is about ceding too much control to humans but i think there's also an element of you know artificial intelligence what is it capable of and in this instance joshua because he has the ability to make decisions for himself he essentially is artificial intelligence and we know that artificial intelligence is coming too. Yeah, and he's created with the ability to learn and adapt in strategy. So 
it's can easily it's not a far stretch to think that he might be able to learn and adapt to emotions and to at least the program thinking that it's feeling and because David even says the first time they booted up man I think this program actually missed it's uh the person who wrote it <laughs> yeah yeah and I'll tell you what the writers they did a lot of research for this they really did there's yeah there's a lot of detail that's fair. It all seems very accurate from what I know, and you can definitely tell they put a lot of work into this. Well, they did, because they had to. They wanted to make sure they got the details right. Now, you can look at this movie now and say, beyond just the technology, maybe some of the ideas are, maybe they're not right, or, or obviously today things are way different. But back in 1983, this was cutting edge, by the way. Okay. Oh, yeah. This was cutting edge. One megabyte was your ram okay <laughs> your ram was a megabyte okay God. uh yeah it, it's ridiculous how little compared to today but you know what you shoot forward maybe 20 years and tell somebody that you had a i don't know a two terabyte hard drive and they're gonna look at you and say man i, I just bought a 10 zettabyte drive you know <laughs> Uh, terabytes. Who, who uses terabytes? They're they're so small. One picture so, yeah. doesn't even fit on a terabyte anymore. <laughs> it yeah, because now uh, everything requires much more in terms of uh, space. And back in 1983, you didn't need that. You know, you didn't have to store any files for the most part in 1983. There wasn't much to store. Yeah. So it's pretty crazy. Just thinking like. 20 years when teleportation's a thing, they'll back be like, you guys spent like 45 minutes in traffic and, and wasted your life when it's so much easier than teleportation, you don't waste any time. Right. Yep. It's going to be crazy. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. Um, all right. So I want to kind of toss a few things out here before we go further, some trivia. And I want to read this uh, word for word so that I make sure it's correct. But I was looking up trivia for this movie, and one of the things that really struck me was this. Um, A February 2016 New York Times article reported that this movie ended up having a significant impact on President Donald Reagan's understanding of and policy on telecommunications and computer computer system security and led directly to Reagan pushing the first federal laws intended to outlaw hacking. Reagan saw the movie at Camp David on June 4th, 1983, and the next week, while in a meeting with some of con- some congressmen and his national security vi- advisors to prepare for Russian arms negotiations, he asked if any of them had seen the movie. <laughs> when they said they had not, he recounted the plot and then asked the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General John W. Vesely Jr., if someone could uh, really break into the most sensitive uh, computers. Vessi, who didn't know anything about hacking or cybersecurity, asked a former NSA analyst, Donald Latham, who replied that it was not only possible but very plausible, since the NSA had already been hacking into China's and the USSR's telecommunications and computer systems for years. Wow. Latham had first become acquainted with this danger through his friendship with Willis Ware, a computer scientist at the Rand Corporation. Ware had written a paper in the 1960s about the high likelihood that as the use of shared computer networks increased, so would the risk of those networks being accessed even remotely. 
where in turn was also a source for the war game screenwriters Lawrence Lasker and Walter Parks. When they wanted to make sure that the plot they were devising for the movie was plausible, they called Rand and ended up meeting with uh, Ware, who served as a technical consultant for the film. So it was because of this film that hacking got its laws in place. Yeah. That's crazy. Mm Mm-hmm. That's pretty insane. Yeah. Um, This movie was critically uh not i wouldn't say even well received this this received critical acclaim when it came out uh obviously it was exceptionally popular uh, it was nominated for th- i believe three academy awards uh and ni- for the 1980 uh what 1984 academy awards wow. so yeah it's it's a a classic a classic movie um there was a time where uh, they were having some kind of issue with the the computer that David was working on his in his computer or in his uh, in his room, and they lost the instructions on what they needed to do for the scene. And Matthew Broderick saved them a day of filming by figuring it out on his own. Wow! So for him. That, yeah, I mean, considering back then, you know, computers were just starting to come into like homes you know so oh not even like 83 still another 10 years away from that well i mean 10 years later they were common in homes or becoming common in homes but in 1983 they were just starting to creep into houses but even then you still had to be pretty well off to be able to afford a computer oh god yeah yeah even in like Um, the 2000 early 2000s you had to be well off too yeah uh during the extensive research for the film writers lawrence lasker and walter f parks made friends with many hackers and security experts <laughs> they later wrote the movie sneakers another film featuring hackers as security experts yeah, um it's the first cinematic reference to a firewall a security measure used in computing net, computer networking, internet security. Of course, I know what a firewall is. But <laughs> it, yeah, the first uh, cinematic reference to a firewall was in this movie. Um, I'm trying to think of what else is here. There's, there's a ton. But yeah, the part of Professor Falcon was originally written with the idea of John Lennon playing the part. But of course, John Lennon, Lennon was assassinated, so... Yeah, yeah, that's unfortunate. <laughs> but he did a good job. Yeah. Um, the writer's main inspiration for the character of Professor Stephen Falcon was Cambridge Professor Stephen Hawking. Hawking was originally approached to appear in the movie, but he declined because he didn't want the producers exploiting his disability. So, <laughs> the studio had Galaxian and Galaga arcade machines featured in the movie that David's playing. Uh, they had them delivered to Matthew Broderick's home where he practiced for two months to prepare for the arcade scene. So there you go. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, pretty awesome to have a studio be like, oh yeah, we're going to ship you over some arcade right? games and just, <laughs> you know, play them for a while. Just get good at them. It's like, so. I love my job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, apart from the acting and the money and all that stuff. Are you going to give me some free arcade games? Sure, why not? Yeah, bring that over. 
Um, okay, so let's let's get into uh, anything else you want to talk about regarding this movie. Is there anything you want to bring up before we start uh, getting down to the the scripts and the, the uh, grading the different aspects of this movie? Uh, no, I think I'm ready to jump right in. Okay. All right, so um, let's start out with the script. What did you think of the script for this movie? Uh, it was really well written, mm-hmm. well researched. Uh, everything had its purpose. Nothing seemed like it was just there to be flashy or, hey, look how cool this computer is. Except for maybe the lights on Joshua, how the camera always panned over all the fancy little lights. But that's your extent of it, and that's pretty typical. Uh, but the scripting is great. All the Everything's researched well. I think they did a pretty phenomenal job. I would give it a solid A. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think it's an intelligent script. It's brimming with ideas and powerful themes. But there's also like a streamlining uh, part to this movie when it comes to some of the ideas and some of the different things that we see in the movie. Like we don't see a lot of David's family. And that's fine because they're not really of central importance to the movie in any way, right? So we get just enough of his family, you know, to just kind of make it, make it possible for us to understand why David is kind of a little withdrawn, I guess, Mm -hmm. Um, more comfortable sitting in his room, you know, playing on his computer, maybe than out talking to people and meeting girls and doing, you know, doing whatever. Um, And with a father like that, you know, I, mean, I I swear he's he's Ted Wheeler's uh, brother. Even his mother is strange because she doesn't cook the corn. She wants to eat it raw. She thinks it's healthier. Like you nut her better. <laughs> you can taste the vitamin A. Something yeah, like that. yeah, something like that. I'm just like, are you high? You're <laughs> <laughs> so weird. Yeah. Uh, cons for the script. Um, they're probably is a, a few times where I, I feel like they were a bit too heavy handed with some of the themes and the ideas They're like both a positive and a negative. Sometimes I feel like they kind of pushed those ideas like, Oh look, we're really pushing this. But um, beyond that, I, I don't think it's um, there's anything wrong with it. I think that it's an a minus for me for the script. Um, Acting-wise, um, are there any standout performances, who and why? Uh, Sheedy and Broderick, I think they're particularly wonderful here. This was a star-making performance from Matthew Broderick, and I think Ali Sheedy obviously went from here uh, and skyrocketed through the 80s, part of the Brat Pack. Big deal. So, for sure, the acting was great from these two, but I think everyone did a great job. I don't think there was a weak actor in the entire movie that I could I could think of. Yeah, I can't think of one except for like his parents were weird, but they weren't bad actors. It was just strange characters, and yeah, I think they utilized everyone pretty effectively. I especially like the uh, the nerds and that he goes to visit, and one of them is from Greece, Eugene. That <laughs> like yep. yes, that nerd does need to be here. <laughs> yep, yep, great. Um, I give it an A. I think for the acting, I think it's really spot on. Yeah, I have to agree. Everyone does a really great job. Uh, directing. Uh, how well was the movie directed? 
uh, this is a workmanlike. There's a workmanlike feel for, to the direction here for the most part. It's not badly directed by any measure, but there isn't anything that I feel is special about it either. Uh, the one big thing that is done well, I think, with this movie is the, the shooting sequences with David at the computer. Because I think that they do a good job here of making it easy for us to understand what's going on. Yeah, very smartly. So I'm going to give the directing a B. Yeah, I think I have no complaints, really. Um, I can't see any too many flaws. I think all the shots were decent. Um, it really paints a clear picture of what's going on and the near... <laughs> Letting your audience be able to keep up with something that was probably, you know, very over their heads, especially for the time. These are completely new, and to do a movie solely around computers, uh, it can be risky. I, I'm gonna give it a, a B plus. Okay. Uh, let's move on to special effects. So, how good were the special effects? Did you were practical? Uh, look, I mean, this isn't a movie that has much in the way of special effects. In fact. There really isn't any beyond the effects that they put up on the screen when it comes to you know talking to Joshua or all the global thermonuclear war stuff that we see play out. I mean, if that's special effects, then it is because it's practical. Um, that's about it. So it's kind of hard to, to grade that too much just because I don't think there's anything revolutionary about it in any way i think they knew what they had to do and they did it. it's pretty easy but uh i mean i'm going to give it an a just because you know what they did they did well but it's kind of hard for me to even grade this right here you know exactly yeah it, it's it's basically just like hey here's an a even though there wasn't a lot of it but y you know what you did put in there you didn't mess up so here's an a yeah okay exactly uh, editing and pacing. Who is the editor? The editor is Tom Rolfe. How effective is the editing? Uh, the scenes involving stuff on the computer requires good editing to make it easily digestible. And I think it's really done really well here. Are there any pacing issues? Uh, the movie clocks in at under two hours and manages to fly by. Uh, yeah, there's no issues for me on either. And uh, I think it's A for both. Yeah, <laughs> I can't disagree. I think an A is pretty... Yeah, a good rating. All right. And we're going to get down to our final thoughts and our final grade for the movie. So, Sarah, take it away. So, this is a, definitely an interesting movie for me to watch. Uh, it wasn't what I expected going into it. It was more... Like, seeing Matthew Broderick on any title, I think it's going to be a little goofy. But it was actually quite serious, and I appreciated that. Especially the opening beginning. Like, it made me feel like anxious watching it and i could feel the tension and you know especially when the guy pulls a gun on it i'm just like oh my god just that's so tense like what a great opening that was it really sets the tone too because you know like yeah we're going to be dealing with some teenagers but this is the tone of the film so i loved that um and matthew broderick does a does a great job uh He's not his over-the-top, like, sometimes he can go a little too over-the-top kind of goofy, but he's really great here. He's just a budding actor who did a really great job, and uh, she's wonderful as well. All the actors are great. I think the story is phenomenal. All in all, I think you know, this movie was 
pretty awesome. <laughs> I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. I give it an A all around. Okay. That's good grade. Fair grade. Okay. All right. So my final thoughts on this movie are a movie that won universal acclaim back in 1983 and managed to influence presidential policy. Not too Pretty shabby, crazy. right? Yeah, yeah, not too seriously. shabby. I mean, the fact that they could actually watch a movie and legitimately question whether or not that the things depicted in the movie are actually possible. It's, it's impressive. Um, a movie steeped in Cold War era paranoia that manages to have a beating heart. So, of course, you know, like we talked about earlier in the review, this movie has a beating heart. It has something to say, but it, it doesn't try to shove it down our throats too much. But I think the biggest thing to take away is the level of heart and humanity that we see on display. You know, nobody wants to start sending nukes off into the world and destroy countries and kill tons of people, millions of people, and uh, effectively start a war that most people will not survive from. Nobody wants that. And this movie does a good job of showing the fallibility of both humans and computers because that lack of flexibility that's kind of built into you know Joshua and into computers in general uh, that can have dire consequences as well. So, yeah, yeah, that's very true. So, um, it's also filled with powerful themes and ideas that are even more prevalent today than back when it was released. So, of course, like I said, 1983, some of this stuff was going on, but today, uh, this movie makes a lot more sense in today's era than you know back then even. And it's good that this was made in the 80s when a president would probably be smart and listen to this where, you know, in this day and age, that probably wouldn't happen. Probably not. <laughs> um, with excellent performances by everyone, a tight, intelligent script and taut editing, War Games is both a nostalgia trip and a classic of early 80s, 80s cinema. So it's, a, it's definitely a classic. It deserves to be mentioned, you know, is one of the best 80s movies. Uh, so for me, my final grade is an A-. minus. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty fair grade. I was looking at, like, the top 30 movies from the 80s that you need to watch, and this is number 10. <laughs> there you go. That's pretty there, good. Ferris Bueller's number one. <laughs> right, of course. Of course. <laughs> uh, okay, that's it for us. We have one more review to be doing Uh Sorry, let me tell you again. We have one more review to do to be doing. We have one more one more review to do before the end of the year. That's going to be Star Wars next week, and yes. we're tentatively planning on recording next Saturday, yeah, um, the day after we watch it. Right. So I'm not saying guaranteed for sure. I have to get a hold of Barry. Got to find out whether or not that's even possible. Uh, but we're going to do our best. Either way, if it's not recorded, then it will be recorded, I think, Sunday. Um, but one way or another, within a few days of it coming out, the Star Wars review will be up and online. So you know, check that out. Don't. Um, we're very excited for this. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. It's going to be a big, big movie. We're, yeah. Well, a little too excited to be honest with you, but yeah, this one's going to already planning on seeing it three days in a row. Yeah, I'm going to see it three days in a row: Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday. So, 
I would definitely know my stuff come recording time. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's like, I remember scene for scene, word for word. <laughs> yep. Uh, yep. So look out for that. And of course, if you want to catch the full review of our Star Wars, you know, uh, the full review, because we, we do the, the non-spoiler, right? We do that. It's about 15 minutes. We generally talk about trailers and we give our broad thoughts on whatever movie we're covering. But then, of course, if you want to catch the spoiler section where we really go uh, more in depth on the movie, talk about, of course, all things uh, spoilerific, then you need to check out Patreon for that. Yeah, so go to www.patreon.com forward slash freaking geeks and check out uh, what we have to offer there. We have different subscriber levels. And uh, so check that out and see if it's something that you might like to try out and uh, get access to uh, not only our spoiler reviews, but definitely other podcasts that we have, Stranger Things. Uh, and then, of course, you get episodes earlier on Patreon other podcasts that we do like Friday Night uh, Mics. We also do uh, American Gods, things like that. So you'll get the episodes on Patreon before you ever get them in iTunes. Yes, if you absolutely. even get them. Yeah, yeah, and subscribing is as low as a dollar a month and it gets you in to see all our content and be able to see everything we post in Patreon. Yep. All right, that's it for us. So we'll see you next week with our Star Wars review. So until then, have a good one. See you next time.